This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm excited to share something different with you today. Every single month, we go out of our way to add value to the people who are on our email list by doing a live webinar that usually we're bringing on some type of expert that normally you wouldn't have the opportunity to interact with. And we spend a lot of time doing Q&A with those people so that you can really seek guidance from them and also bring new ideas to you. This month, we decided that since it's the beginning of the year, we wanted to do a Q&A. Instead of bringing an expert on, we asked people ahead of time where they were struggling most when it came to their productivity. We had 160 different questions that came in. We prioritized them. And we asked some of the most powerful ones. I mean, these are people who have been struggling with living a life of productivity. And, and they want to start this year because so often we start the year with the best of hopes, with the biggest dreams. And a few months in, we seem to lose our momentum. And we didn't want that for you this year. So this month, we dedicated our One Thing webinar to doing a live Q&A with the audience. Today, you're going to get to hear that actual Q&A. For those of you who would like the opportunity to join these webinars in the future so that we can interact live and we can introduce you to some of the most powerful influencers out there when it comes to productivity and authors, then go to the onething.com slash webinar. That's the one thing with the number one.com slash webinar. You'll see whatever the webinar is for that month and you can sign up for free. It's just our way, another way that we try to add value to you. So with that, let's get into our Q&A. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. I also want to interact with those of you who took the time to show up live. This is an opportunity for you and me to go back and forth directly together. So please, as you have questions, put them in the chat box. I want, and this is specifically when it comes to having a productive life, when it comes to having a really, really productive year, what are those questions that pop up for you? What are the things that maybe you struggled with last year that you want to do better this year? And how can you uh, share that with us in the form of a question so that we can answer them as best possible for everyone? Before we get into this, I do want to let you guys know my big thing. You're going to hear me say this throughout all the content that we put out. Value, value, value. We want to be bringing value to you. And so we've done a few things this year. First and foremost, we have put a lot of time and effort into our Facebook page. So facebook.com slash the one thing book, and that is all spelled out. Uh, we have content going up there sometimes four times a day. So stuff for you guys to, to take advantage of. The One Thing Podcast. This is my one thing for 2017. Straight up. 
The podcast is our one thing. So we have the podcast. We actually launched it at the time that we're having this conversation right now. We launched it this week. It already hit the top 10 out of all business podcasts in iTunes, which is awesome. And we couldn't have done that without you. So thank you so much to those of you who have subscribed to the show. Um, hopefully you're enjoying it. I've gotten good feedback so, so far, but we're looking forward to taking that journey with you guys. And finally, Snapchat. I'm actually spending a lot of time on a daily basis trying to document what it means to live the book, what it means to live a life of productivity. So I'm capturing a lot of these moments throughout the day that maybe you wouldn't get to see otherwise. So we've got a lot of different options for you guys, depending on where you like to consume your content. Our goal is to show you what it means to live the book so that you can hopefully have a more productive year. We're here in the Keller Williams corporate headquarters right now, and we're just going to be hanging out for the next, gosh, 50 minutes or so. So um, let's dive into Q&A. Garrett. So uh, the first question we have here is, how do I keep mentally fresh in the middle of working on my one thing? How do I keep mentally fresh while working on my one thing? I think a lot of this comes down to recognizing that and, and I'm, guys, I'm speaking from experience here. I don't consider myself to be a guru. I'm just a person who for the last year has lived this and really had to wrestle with it. So I'm coming from, from that angle, more being like you than, than anything else. A mentor of mine really helped me realize that recognizing that you're human and you're going to make mistakes is a huge part of this. I don't think it's natural for us to necessarily be focused throughout the day. Um, and what was the exact verbiage of that one again? It is, how do I keep mentally fresh in the middle of working on my one thing? Yeah, how, how many of you have ever experienced this where you're going through the day and maybe you're, you're in a zone, you're in a state of flow, but all of a sudden you come out and it's like, you just, you can't get back into it. You seem like you've lost your rhythm or maybe you're just super, super tired. Suddenly you're drained like that three o'clock afternoon crash, which is what I'm talking right now. But good thing I'm on camera because this excites me. I've recognized that in those moments, instead of trying to force it, I just, I switch up my state. Oftentimes it means me giving up and go, literally going and giving somebody a high five, which is ridiculous, but I'm a ridiculous human being. Sometimes it's me going and hanging out with somebody, telling a joke, um, taking a walk, doing a breathing exercise. There are so many different things that I will try to do just because I've been a student of self-development. And I understand that if I can get my body into motion, that I can change my state. And so that's a big part of it for me. I know that I'm not always going to have that momentum that I would like. And so in those moments when I lose it, cool, I embrace it. I use it as an opportunity to change my state. And then I'll sit back down for my next time block and try to give it my all. Uh, the next one is, how do I avoid distractions? Yeah, how many of you, I'm curious, for those of you who are here live right now in the, in the questions box, is distractions one of your biggest challenges as you go throughout the day? I'd love for you to guys to go ahead and put yes in the chat box. I think they're, they're unavoidable at this time. I mean, when you look at the internet, social media, there's notifications coming at us from all over the place. And instead of saying, okay, I'm suddenly going to be distraction-free, giving yourself permission to say, yeah, I don't have a track record of doing that. Can I start by controlling distractions in one specific area? I'm curious for those of you who are on here live, what is your biggest source of distractions? Go ahead and put that in the chat box so that I can see it. What is the single biggest distraction that you're dealing with? I will tell you for me personally, in my experience, Lori says husband also works from home. That's hilarious. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, for me, it's been email. I feel this need to check my email. Um, I see that Sherry says people interrupting me. That's huge. 
I see my cell phone is a huge distraction. You know, when it comes to it's it's either a device or it's a person, I think is a fair way to put it. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, Jeff. So when it comes to the devices, just recognizing um, there's a thing called airplane mode and it works really, really well where you can just put it on and, and now the world can't get to you. Or when it comes to email, um, you can actually close it down and it'll be there for you when you come back. Over the last year, I can't, and by the way, this is coming from the guy who I have a high need to be liked. I want to please everyone. And so I would allow other, I would want to satisfy other people's agendas before taking care of my own. And then I step into this world where I'm working with Gary Keller, where I'm working with Jay Papazan, and they're pointing these things out to me. And over the last year, I've just learned how to build my confidence in terms of saying no to those stimulus. You know, for those of you who it's, it's people interrupting you, can you, for a 15-minute period of your day, say to your people around you, hey guys, for the next 15 minutes, do me a favor. I really need to focus and get my most important work done. Would you mind respecting it and, and hold any questions until one o'clock? You'll be shocked at how people will conspire to, to support you when you ask for help. Um, so I think that's a big one. I see one person said my own mind. That's a really interesting one. I'd be curious for you, do you meditate? Do you have any form of mindful practice or do you have a system or a place where you're able to capture your ideas? Um, my wife, Amy, she's one of those people that she goes to bed and then her brain starts to churn and it'll keep her up for hours because she's thinking about so many things. And I had made a suggestion to her that before we go upstairs, that she, she think about all those things and simply write them down or put them in her phone to capture them in a place. And what ended up happening was on a subconscious level, she gave herself permission to not think about those things because she knew they were documented in a very specific place that could be addressed for the next day. And so if your mind is a big challenge, um, I, would, I would encourage one of two things. One, a mindfulness practice, which meditation teaches you how to focus. Or number two, having some type of system where you can capture those thoughts so that you can give yourself permission to not think about them for a specific period of time. Hopefully that helps you. What's next, Garrett? This is an interesting one from Lori. How would you reconcile having focus with needing to be able to answer lead emails and calls as soon as possible? So over the last year, um, we created something called Time Blocking Mastery, where we were trying to teach people how to make time blocking a powerful habit that sticks. And now we've worked with about 800 people. And a lot of them are in a sales capacity where lead generation really matters. But they found that it was constantly getting violated because other people had questions or needs. And when you're running a business, um, you're the person. That can be, that can be challenging. And kind of like I said, when it comes to distractions, I think giving yourself permission to think big in terms of what your goal is, but start small. And this is what, this something that Gary, I heard say many, many times, he was saying it's important to think big in terms of your vision, but start by acting really, really small. So, and it was Lori. So Lori, for you, can you say, I'm, I'm sure your lead generation time that you would like to be doing is more than 15 minutes, but can you start with a block as small as five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, where you enlist the support of the people around you to support you for that 15 minute block? Can you start by making that a habit to the point where your staff gets used to it? Like Jay, Jay Papazan, when he's going into writing mode, like he lets us know I'm going into writing mode. His door gets closed. He's got his little door hanger on there that says I'm doing my one thing. And we know that 
that's not really a time to disturb him unless it's really, really important. If And then we'll knock on the door, recognizing that we're violating his time block. And quite often he'll say, can we talk about this later? So he has built that type of a culture around him so that we understand writing time is sacred and it needs to be done for you and your business. Lead generation is sacred. And sometimes explaining to people why what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing, it really matters. Hey, for the next 15 minutes, I need to do this. It's really important. Here's how it benefits you and to explain to them how it could support them. So hopefully that answers your question, Lori. If not, please go ahead and submit another question below so that we can do this. Next one. All right. So um, how can I learn to delegate better? Which might actually go into that last question a little bit. I'm assuming because you're on this, listening to this, watching this, that you are a high achiever because you're making an investment in yourself. I have found being a high achiever myself that I'm a control freak. For, for lack of a better word, I want, I have standards that I want met. And with that comes control, which inherently sometimes when people struggle with leverage or delegating, um, maybe it's a fear because you don't think somebody else can get it done as, as well as you. I'm curious for those of you, how many of you are struggling with this? If so, put yes in the chat box. I remember probably five years ago, I heard a quote and I don't remember who said it, but if you want to be a millionaire, you have to start acting as if. And millionaires, they have assistants. Now, I remember the time I'm in medical device sales. I'm pretty much paycheck to paycheck. I'm going, an assistant? You go, Are you crazy? Well, then I read the four-hour work week, and I started learning about virtual assistants and with the internet, um, how you could actually start to get leverage in your life for your budget. Regardless of how much you make, you can start to bring leverage in your life. And I, I said, okay, Jeff, treat this like a muscle. Can you do it once? Can you prove to yourself that you can start thinking like a millionaire by delegating very little things for five bucks a week? Can you, can, would it be worth me to invest $5 a week to start flexing that muscle? And I did. Now we fast forward to today. I get off on leverage. I get really, really excited when things start happening, when I empower other people to do things and they get done. And sometimes they get done better than me, which is, Really, really, really cool. If this is you, you only have so much you can do. You know, you have a capacity. That's a hundred percent. You can only accomplish so much. Is it, is that fair to say? If so, put yes in the chat box. Now, what happens is when you want to start living a bigger life, you have to start learning to succeed through others. I have a job. There's only so much that I can physically do. But if I want to live a bigger life, if I want to build a bigger business or create bigger opportunities so that I can be more present with my family to give them the type of life that they want to have. I know that ultimately I'm going to, it's going to require other people. Because if at any point in time in your life, if you hit a ceiling, it's because you're missing a person, either in the form of a coach, mentor, or in the form of leverage. Now, let's say email, for example, that is 100% below my productive dollars per hour. I have no business being in my email inbox. Can I identify a person who can do email maybe 75% as well as me. Sure. Now, of course, the the limiting beliefs started to seep into my mind. Oh, but they're not going to respond to people as timely. Maybe they won't write it the same way, all those things. But this is when I had a good mentor who said, just try it, start flexing that muscle. And so I brought on a virtual assistant who is able, who now lives in my inbox. Does he respond as well as me? No, but I legitimately do not check email. 
anymore. I now have a system where he filters all my email inboxes and he sends me a Google Doc every day that says, hey, these are the emails that require your attention. Here's the important information. How would you like me to respond? And I'm able to go in for five to 10 minutes and do little responses on things and he knocks it out. I have how many hours a day? I'm curious on this. How many hours a day do you think you spend in your email inbox? Please go ahead and put that number in the chat box. I would love to see this. I know for me, the little random times that I was checking email added up to several hours a day. And to now know that I have reclaimed that, that time, it's huge. It's freed me up to do other things. And so the reason I share this with you is because 80% of done is sometimes better than 100% of nothing. You've only got so much capacity, but there's all these other things that could be done. And 80% of this getting done is better than 100% of none of it getting done. That Jim Rohn quote that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, I live by it. When I look at the people who I respect, when I look at a guy like Gary Keller, you will hear him consistently talking about the importance of succeeding through others. It's the ultimate success. It's not when you do it. It's when they do it. So hopefully that helps you. The next question is, how do I get someone else to be nonstop each day and get them to focus on their job so I can focus on mine? <laughs> I love that. I love the tone of that question because it tells me that person is awesome. In the book, um, and the way it was taught to me was, you're enlisting support. And I think this is a matter of having a real conversation and communicating effectively with that person. And I say communicating effectively for a reason because it's not what you say, it's the way it's received. And sitting down with that person and letting them know that clearly they're coming to you for a reason. They think you can help them. And if I were in your shoes, I would be stating that I am here for you. I am here to support you, but understand that I also have a job that I need to do and I'm responsible for doing. You have a job that you're responsible for doing. And part of my job is servicing you and making sure that I'm supporting you. But also understand that I have responsibilities outside of that. And when X, Y, and Z happen, it, it, it makes it harder for me to be successful. So can we establish some type of boundaries where that works? You know, this happened really recently with, with Jay and me. Um, I love people. I have a need to be around people. And Jay is, I'm on the extroverted scale and Jay's on the opposite end where he doesn't need, he, he needs his time. And he's, his one thing is writing books. But here I am, I'm building this company around the one thing. I need guidance. And I'm, I'll constantly be going into his office and I can see when he's starting to get disturbed. And we finally had just had to have a conversation to say, look, can we batch your questions so that when you're coming to me, we can knock them out, but then you can be taking action, start to compile your questions. And then if we need to chat, ask for the time and we'll schedule it. But the random God of minutes, the random me going into his office, completely steals his focus away from what he's doing. And for anybody who understands what it means to be in a flow state, to understand what it means to be in a state where you are just getting so much done, a simple text message, a simple vibration of your phone can pull you out. And it's not like you just go back in. It can sometimes take a half an hour, an hour more to get back into that state. And so that's, that was just clear communication on his part, which of course I respect. I, I want him to be successful. I want us to be successful working together. And so that's, that's how I do it. So I think it comes down to the effective communication. So next question I have is, how, how do I overcome the mindset of not doing lead generation? Which I read as, how do I overcome the mindset of not doing what I need to get done? 
This reminds me of when I heard Gary talking about applying priority to your to-do list and turning it into a success list. Oftentimes, when we look at all the things that we can do, we will take action on the thing that we think is easiest to take action on. How many of you does that resonate with? How many of you, um, at some point in your life, before you received any formal training, would just take action on the thing that you knew you could cross off the list because it was easiest? Go ahead and put yes in the chat box. Um, I, I certainly am one of those people. And I came to find that there's a reason for that. In our brain, psychologically, when we get to cross something off of our list, there's a release of dopamine in the brain, which makes us feel good. There's a chemical reaction when you get something done. It feels great. Oftentimes, we don't do our most important work because, frankly, it's hard. Our most important work sometimes is not something that can easily be done right away in one sitting. It requires persistence. It requires planning. Sometimes it can require conflict or creative thinking and problem solving. But I, Gary on his desk, I saw this, we posted this on, um, somebody posted this on the Facebook wall for the one thing. He has an image that says something along the lines of, if I'm not doing my one thing, I'm not doing my highest work. And so I think it's it's about getting hyper, hyper clear that what is the one thing I can be doing right now, such that by doing it, it's going to make everything else easier or unnecessary. Real world example for me, it's hiring my executive assistant. I know that if I do nothing this week other than recruit new candidates and start to bring them through the process and start to filter them through, that is a very successful week. And I have spent over 50% of my time on that. I think I'm crushing it this week. I feel great. But do you have any idea how much stuff I've had to say no to? How much stuff is piling up around me? But it's okay. I'm saying yes to my one thing, which inherently means I'm saying no to everything else. And then dealing with that chaos is a completely different story and how you do that. And that's where leverage starts to come in. So for those of you who struggle with finishing the task that needs to be done, Give yourself permission to acknowledge that it's not always the most fun, but if it's truly your one thing, you know it's going to make everything else easier or unnecessary, so stick with it. The next question is, should I share my goals with others? Uh, yes. We, we um, just talked about this on one of the live streams that we did on the Facebook page, and I asked the people, how many of you feel comfortable sharing your goals, and how many of you do not feel comfortable sharing your goals? And it was pretty divided, 50-50. What about you, Garrett? Do you usually feel comfortable sharing goals? I take two different kinds of perspectives on this. Like I've read studies um, that sharing your goals publicly is actually detrimental for you achieving your own goals. But I think there's two different types of sharing your goals with someone else. There's kind of being boisterous about it and looking for some sort of publicity and saying, I'm going to be doing this. And aren't I great? And then there's the level of making sure somebody it's goal with somebody that's accountable. Mm. So I think that's the two different areas. Um, you know, there was a period in my life where I was more quiet about my goals. And what it really came down to was I was afraid of being judged. I was afraid of what other people would think of me. And especially if I declared it publicly and I failed what people would think about me. And I'm curious for those of you who are alive, how many of you does this resonate with? If so, put an exclamation point in the chat box. We're switching it up, keeping you on your toes. What I found really surprised me. And it's that human beings, we have an innate desire to help one another. Think about a time when someone came to you in a vulnerable position, genuinely 
in a state of conflict or pain. They were scared. They were lost. They needed help. And they came to you. Did you in that moment think negative thoughts about them? Like, what a loser. I shouldn't be talking to this person. This person sucks. Or did you have compassion? Were you in the back of your mind wondering and even possibly searching for if you could help them or not? What I've found is that when someone comes to you and lets you know, hey, I'm really working on this, people usually will try to support you and serve you. They will conspire to support you. So when it comes to sharing goals publicly, I think it's a great thing because it's a form of enlisting support to say to the people around you, hey, this is what I'm going for in 2017. I know they're big goals. I'm frankly, I'm not 100% sure that I can do it, but I'm sharing it with people because hopefully people will support me. I think you will be amazed at how people do rise up to support you. And the other interesting thing is this is polarizing because if you, we go back to that Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Whether you realize it or not, you've got a lot of people in your world who probably shouldn't be there. They're not your people. And when you start asking for help, when you start declaring publicly what you're going toward, the people who criticize you, the people who question you, the people who tell you that your ideas are stupid, the people who put you down, you should be thanking your lucky stars for them because they just proved that they do not belong in your world. And you should work to distance yourself from those people. And there will be people who may surprise you, who maybe you didn't have that strong of a relationship with, but maybe they went above and beyond to do something for you. And maybe those are the people that you'll consider investing in a relationship with. So I think there's a lot of great things here. It's number one, publicly declaring it. There's an accountability factor. And you are going to turn yourself into a human magnet where you will start attracting the right people into your life and start repelling the wrong people out of your life. The next question I have is a simple but very complex one. How do I determine what to focus on? Yeah, um, I think this is one of the greatest misunderstandings around the one thing. And I'm sure, uh, Garrett, you'll agree because you were on the research team that spent five years doing this. We all have more than one thing, right? When we look at on page 114 of the book, we have the seven circles. You know, when you look at your spiritual life and your physical health and your personal life, your relationships, your job, your business, your finances, there's no one thing that makes it all easier or unnecessary. There's one thing you can do to improve your spiritual life. There's one thing you can do to improve your relationships. There's one thing you can do to do better in your job. There's one thing you can do to be more financially sound. It's about instead of saying that you have to do one thing that's going to knock them all down. Can you first and foremost narrow your focus down to one area and say, all right, I'm just going to start here. And I'll tell you a real world, world story about this. Um, I've always had big dreams for myself. I've always had high standards. And I wanted to be, I was in a point where I really was kind of beating myself up because I knew I needed to be doing better in my business. I knew I needed to be investing more time in my marriage. I knew I needed to... Um, be investing in my mental clarity through meditation because I was just scattered. And I knew I needed to focus on my health. And for probably five years, I tried to focus on all four of those simultaneously. And I mastered none of them. I made no real progress in any of them. It's because I was trying to do them all. Then when I moved here about a year ago and I'm sitting down with Jay and he's saying, okay, these are your four areas. If you could only choose one, what would they be? I'm like, oh, well, Jay, I got to do them all. I want to perform in the business. We're just starting this thing. I, I need to be present 
for my wife. I need to meditate. I need to get, look at my health. He goes, if you had to only choose one, which would you choose? And I said, well, I'd start with business because I need to crush it here. Otherwise, I move my family to Austin for nothing. He said, great. What's the one thing you can do for your business such that by doing it makes everything else easier or unnecessary? I realized it was just for the first part of my day doing my most important work, making that a habit so that when I get into the office, I don't check email. It's not time to run around the office doing high kicks and high fives. It's time to focus and get my one thing done for 10 or 15 minutes. And I just focused on that until it was a habit. And now I literally walk in, I put my computer on the dock, headphones go in and boom, I am focused. And I knock something out that's really important. Then it's time to give high fives. Then it's time for high kicks. That's when Garrett usually rolls his eyes at me. (laughs) Then once that was a habit, I then got to focus on being present in my marriage. When that was a habit, keep in mind that initial habit was still kicking. I'm still focused in my business, but now I have a habit of being present in my marriage. I've got two power habits. I get to focus on meditation. And I got to apply my discipline to making that a habit until that was a habit. Then I had three habits. Now I'm focusing on my health. When you narrow your focus down to one thing and make it a habit, then you can start habit stacking. But the the question always comes back to, well, where do I start? There's no right or wrong answer here, people. Pick one. You're going to find that when you get into motion, that maybe there's something that's more important. Peggy is a woman who went through time blocking mastery who thought her one thing was around business. It was around lead generation. Two weeks into focusing on her lead gen, she realized she had no energy and she had no confidence because she wasn't proud of the body that she was living in. And so she shifted her one thing to taking care of her health. And when she transformed her health, suddenly she had more energy, which meant she could be more uh, effective in her cold calling. She had more confidence in front of potential clients, which means she had a better close ratio. It actually improved her business because she first and foremost focused on her health, but she didn't know that going in and she would have never known that health was her one thing unless she first and foremost started taking action on her business. So for you, take yourself off the hook. There's no right answer. Pick something and get into action. So this one tails off on that a little bit, but maybe a little bit more encompassing. How do I keep up my energy so I can push strong every day? (sighs) We can go a lot of directions with this. Um, This is something I'm tweaking with right now. The thing that has helped me most is those times in the day when you feel the crash when you feel like you're lacking that energy, I'm getting up and I'm physically moving my body. Sometimes it's a matter of me going outside and taking a walk around. Sometimes it's sitting on a bench and just closing my eyes and feeling the sunshine on my face. Sometimes it's me going and and having a ridiculously funny conversation with somebody that jacks me up. I'm just doing something to get into movement and change my state so that when I come back in, I feel refreshed. It's like, I'm, it's like I'm coming back at it for the first time and it, and it really does help. And I'd be curious, you know, this is the interaction part of this. For those of you who have struggled with this and have found some things that have worked, what has worked for you? I'd love for you to put that in the comment section. I would love to share that with everybody else. What do I do when the job I'm asked to do is not aligned with my one thing? Okay, I'm going through this right now with uh, a guy that I hired named Evan. Part of the reason that I got the opportunity to take over the one thing was because first I had started a podcast called The Mentee. 
where I was the mentee, was recording the conversations with my mentors. I scaled that to a six-figure business in about a year. And ultimately, when Gary and Jay say, be the face of the one thing, I realize I have a conflict because I got two things. I can't be the face of the one thing and have two things. So that's when Jay suggested that I apply everything that I've learned when it comes to delegation and leadership through them to the podcast, to the mentee. And I hired somebody to run the business and I hired and I brought somebody in to run the podcast. I'm teaching Evan, who's running the business side, how to act in order of priority. And I told him very clearly, as the person he reports to, he has permission, if I'm ever asking him to do something, to let me know that it's not his one thing. And for those of you who are in, who have to report to a superior who's asking you to do things that are not your one thing, here's what Jay told me to do. He said, in that moment, you should say, my one thing is X. What I'm hearing you say is that this would take precedence. What would you like me to do about my original one thing? And see if that resolves it. Because oftentimes when you communicate in that fashion and you say, hey, my one thing is really this, what you're asking me to do would actually take me off of my one thing. I want to be supportive. Should I be reprioritizing here? Because in that, in that moment, you're effectively communicating, this is where my priority is. I hear what you're saying. I'm respecting what you're saying. Do you really want me to focus on that first? And I'd say nine times out of 10 that Evan says that to me. I say, no, man, keep, keep cranking. Keep doing what you're doing. And it usually resolves itself. So effective communication, baby. That's, that's what it comes down to. So how do I say no to someone else so I can focus on my own goals? Yeah, you're going to hear this time and time again, but effective communication. There are a lot of ways to say no without ticking people off. I remember asking a mentor of mine, he had a very successful career. And when he would go and speak at companies or at schools, you know, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of people in the audience, he would point blank say, I want to add value to you and I'll stick around and I'll answer all your questions and I'll do whatever I can to help you. Quite abundant thinking. And I also happen to know this is one of the busiest human beings I've ever seen. And I, point, I said to him one time, Dave, how do you do it? I mean, people are coming up asking you for help, asking you to do all these things for them. I know what your schedule looks like. It's ridiculous. How are you helping them all? He said, it's simple. I look for the people who have bloody knuckles. I said, okay. Interesting visual I'm getting. What does that mean? And he said, I look for the people whose knuckles are bloody because they've been hitting up against the ceiling of their achievement for so long. I said, great, the visual got better. What does that mean? He said, I give him a task. He goes, when you and I first met and you asked for some of my time, what did I tell you to do? I said, you told me to meet you at a Starbucks on a Sunday morning at 6.45 a.m. He said, what did you do? I said, I showed up at a Starbucks on a Sunday morning at 6.40 a.m. He said, exactly. Somebody wants my help, I ask them to send me their business plan. Somebody wants advice on a book, I tell them to write the first chapter and send it to me. Somebody wants to schedule a meeting with me, I go ahead and ask them to submit an agenda to me. When somebody asks for something from me, I usually go ahead and ask for something of them because if they are going to ask for my most valuable resource, my time, then I'm going to require them to make an escalation of commitment by taking action. For most of you who are working around other people where People are asking for things of you. Can you first and foremost ask them to do something? 90% of them will go away. Or can you point blank say, sorry, can't do it today. 
can we do tomorrow? Like, even if you have the time to just push it into the future. And Garrett's witnessed some of this. I mean, what happens when people ask in, in our office, when people ask for something and you say, sorry, I can't do it today. Can we do it next week? What happens? Uh, they do it next week. It's this, it's this fear of failure or being judged. What, what happens if you have a doctor's meeting and somebody wants to meet at that time? You say, sorry, I got a doctor's appointment. To simply say, sorry, I have an appointment at that time. It happens to be with myself to do my most important work, but they don't need to know that. Guess what? They go, oh, he's got an appointment. Okay, we'll reschedule another time. So saying no to other people is not always saying no. It's sometimes putting some speed bumps in front of that, which ends up saying no for you. Hopefully that helps. How do I get motivated when I'm not? I ask, why are you doing it? Garrett, can I flip this on you? Yeah, sure. How do you get motivated to, I mean, give people an idea of what you do. Uh, I write and I research. So I draft manuscripts and things like that for books. And I uh, figure out all the nitty gritty things behind them that help bring them to life. So are there ever times when you feel a lack of motivation? Because what you're talking about, like, I can only imagine the amount of focus and discipline that's required to do it. Yeah, sometimes there's a lack of motivation, but it always seems to come back. And how do you find it? Uh, I don't. It finds me. Interesting. What usually happens in those moments? Usually I'm grinding it out and then you find something new. It's kind of like the path to mastery, right? It, it, nobody says that the path to mastery is really exciting the whole time. Mm-hmm. It, like if you try and like, I think we use it, an example in the book that, you know, there's a million different ways to use a sword and maybe becoming a master of the sword, you know, it, it's the minutia and the detail or something, something new that comes to life that you didn't see in that life before and it makes you motivated again. Mm-hmm. You find new life in it. Um, I wasn't going to go down this rabbit hole, but that really spoke to me in that I remember when I was in medical device sales and I had lost all passion for my job because I'm, I'm building the podcast and I'm just, I'm, I'm hitting my stride. I'm realizing where I'm really good, but I, I've lost passion for the thing that's paying the bills and putting the roof over the head uh, that's providing security for my family. And I remember a mentor challenged me to gamify my job. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, what would it take for you to double your income and work half the hours? I said, I don't know. He said, what if that was your mandate? What if that was your goal for this year was to double your income and work half the hours? How, did, how would you feel about your job? I said, suddenly it's a challenge. It's, it's, it's exciting. I would love to do that. He goes, cool, do it. Go put together a business plan and show me what that would look like. And that gave me a renewed sense of purpose and motivation every single day because I was so much more purposeful going through knowing that I had to be more statistically effective and efficient throughout my day to get those types of results in half the time. And so for you, can you gamify what you're doing or can you connect to a bigger purpose as to why you are doing it? And, And maybe that would help you. How do I stop looking at social media? I'll take a page out of Jay's book. Jay loves social media. And he noticed that when he was in his writing time block, that he somehow in the moments where he would be at a tough part where maybe he was struggling with writing, he would go on Facebook or he would check Twitter or he would check Instagram. What he had to start doing is building certain barriers around that. So now he has a browser that he uses that has no password saved. And that's where he does his research. So it's not tempting to click over to social media. And when he wants to go to social media, he has to open a completely different browser 
that has his passwords saved. It has his passwords to his email. But when he's in his writing time block, that other browser that has all the passwords, it's actually closed down. It's not just downsized, it's closed down, shut down, not in operation. So for him to check email, for him to check social media is a conscious requirement. I have some friends who dealt with a serious addiction with Facebook and they had to uninstall it from their phone. So if they wanted to check Facebook, they had to open a browser on their phone and they had to type in their password. And guess what? Sounds like a pain. Guess what? It was, but it deterred them from doing it in those moments. So if that's a real distraction for you, go ahead and build barriers around it so that for those periods of time, you're not tempted. How do I deal with negative people who derail me? Um, before we go into that one, Lori just post turn off notifications and put social media apps in one file, not on your main phone. Lori, I love that. And that's a great, great answer. Thank you for sharing that. You're gonna have to ask me the question one more time because I've got the short-term memory of a goldfish. <laughs> All right. Uh, how do you deal or how do I deal with negative people who derail me? Oh, uh, my, and this is this is my natural reaction, and this is just from my experiences. I don't. I, I work as hard as I can to distance myself from those people. I am so hyper protective of what information and stimulus I allow into my mind. I'm, I'm polarized by negative people. It's like I'm allergic to them. I literally will run the other way. If I'm in a conversation and somebody's having a conversation with me that is aggressive or negative, I, I will point blank just walk away. I'm like, why are you doing? That? I'm like, you know what? not a productive conversation. Let's sit down when we both can come at it from a more positive angle. Shocking. Now let's assume that you're working with people who are negative that you have to work with. Come back to effective communication. I think it's a matter of just saying, hey, you know, there was a time when you spoke about X, Y, and Z, and I want to let you know how that affected me. Um, and, and, and come to them from a state of vulnerability. Um, instead of you did this, you did this. It's, hey, I noticed that when you talk negatively about how crappy your job is and how much you don't enjoy being here, and I don't think you intend for this to happen, but it affects the moods of people around you. It affects me. All of a sudden, I don't feel as good. And like, I want to be around you. I want to support you. I want to help you. But I have a really hard doing that. How can we make a change? And you come at it from like you're trying to help them, um, but you're not pointing the figure. You're simply citing specific instances and letting you know how it makes you feel. They can't argue with your feelings. And so, I mean, I talk about this with my wife all the time. I respond very well when she tells me, hey, last night when you, when I, you probably didn't mean to do this, but when you forgot to do all the dishes, it made me feel like you didn't really care about the house. And I know you know how hard I work all day long. and and what can we do about that? I was highly responsive to that versus you didn't do the dishes. You piece of beep. <laughs> you know? Um, hopefully that helps you. All right. How do I overcome procrastination? You're just like, what do I do with this guy? <laughs> Everybody's had the dishes argument before once in their life. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, how do I overcome procrastination? And this is where when it comes down to that one thing, when it comes to doing, turning your to-do list, looking at all the things that you should do, and then I put a, applying priority to them. If I can only do one, what's the number one? And I'll, I'll pull something out of my bag real quick. We have a, a system that we use here called a 411. <clears throat> it's how we manage our goals for the year, the month, and the week. Um, if you guys want to get a copy of this, you can go to the one thing.com slash 411. That's with the numbers one and 411, the numbers. But um, this is my 411. I carry it around with me and it very specifically has my goals for the year, 
my goals for the week or for the month and the goals for the week. And they're in order of priority. So there are seven things on the list for this week. This is not a to-do list. These are big rocks, but they're in order of priority. And so when I look at this and I see number one, EAs, executive assistant, hunt talent, talk to 10 people. That is the most important thing that I can do for this week. And I have procrastinated on this for months. But now that it's on there, now that it's got a number one next to it, I don't earn the right to do anything else until I have done that one thing. It's really tough to procrastinate when you have incredible clarity on what your priorities are. And because, I mean, hey, I'm doing this webinar right now, right? So this is technically not my one thing. I am acting out of priority, but this is a conscious decision. I am consciously choosing to be here with you right now because I made a commitment to doing so. And that matters to me more than acting in order of priority. But notice that I've, I mentioned earlier, I've spent over 50% of my week on that EA thing. And, and is it crossed off? It is not crossed off. It's not crossed off yet. I haven't done it yet. Today is Thursday at the time of this recording, and I'm still not done with it. And you know what? If that's the only thing that gets crossed off this week is me connecting with 10 people, with 10 qualified executive assistant candidates, is an awesome week. That is a great week. So a lot of procrastination, I think, just happens because you haven't applied enough priority to it, and you just it's just not clear that that is the thing. You don't earn the right to do anything else until you've done your one thing. What are some small habits we can build that will give us more focus? What do you think? I mean, that's a very interesting question because um, I have been struggling to focus my entire life. I'm ADHD up the wazoo. And if it's not, I'm one of those people, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. So I know in my day, if I don't put something on the calendar, it may be time blocking. It may just be like a note. you got to get this done and saying this may not be my largest priority thing, but something that has to get done. I uh, just make sure I'm, I'm, I'm pinged. Sure. Uh, I look at focus like a muscle. And it's just like when you go to the gym, it's not like you do a single bicep curl and all of a sudden you're curling hundreds. That doesn't happen. It happens by starting with fives and you do your reps. And then you move up to tens and you do your reps and you move up to 15. You do your reps and you keep bumping and bumping and bumping until suddenly you're doing infinitely more than you ever thought possible. Focus is the same thing. It's a muscle. And we just haven't been taught how to focus. The education system is not set up to teach you how to focus. So can you prove to yourself that you can focus for one minute? Can you right now for one minute, whether you are here with us live on this webinar or listening to this later, for the next minute, be present with me? Can you listen to the words that I am saying? Can you submit your feedback in the chat box? Can you engage with us for just one minute? Your email, you get to check it in 40 seconds. That person who's walking by, you can give them, give them hold the finger up and let them know 40, 40 seconds, 30 seconds. Can you prove that you can be here with me for the next 30 seconds? So often the problem is that we, we go out thinking that we have to focus and we have to be undistracted for an entire day. We think big in terms of our vision, but we, we try to act big. Well, big results don't happen that way. They start by little actions done consistently. And for those of you who have been doing this with me for the last minute, it's been a minute. You did it. High five, gold star, you did it. Can you prove to yourself that you can do it tomorrow? 
and the next day and the next day. And can you do it to the point where, hey, you just, you feel confident. You can do it for a minute. All right, now let's raise the bar. Can do it for two minutes, five minutes. A lot of what time blocking is, and we learned this in time blocking mastery with now the about 800 people that have gone through it, their biggest mistake is they try to time block too much. They try to control too much of their schedule instead of saying, first and foremost, let me start with a small sliver that I can control, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and prove to myself that I can do that habitually until it's a habit that sticks. And over time, it expands to the point where you know a guy like Gary or Jay will time block for hours that go undisturbed. You know, in episode three of the One Thing podcast, I interviewed Chris Heller, who's the co-CEO of Keller Williams. And he said he got to the point when he was an agent that he got so so good at this that up until 11 a.m., he only lead generated and it became a habit. It didn't start that way, but it, it got to that point that for the first three hours of the day, it was just lead generation. It's how he became the number one agent in the company, which led to him taking on more responsibility, which paved the path for him to now run the largest real estate company in the world. And it started because he proved to himself that for a tiny sliver of his time, he could say yes to his one thing and say no to everything else. That's how you develop your focus. Great answer, Jeff. Thanks, Garrett. (laughs) I learned something there. Uh, So the question is, how do I identify the one thing I need to do today if I haven't clearly mapped out my path to figuring out how do I get to my long-term goal? Then maybe your one thing for today is to map out your path to achieve your long-term goal. (laughs) You know, if you want to hit a bullseye, but you're not sure where the target is first, maybe your one thing is first and foremost to spot the target. Now, the target may move, may change shapes. You may decide you want to aim at something different, but you're getting into action. And so I remember when um, I was in medical device sales my income has got slashed by 40%. I witnessed a colleague have a stroke and I'm realizing that I needed to make a real change and I felt so lost. And all of a sudden I see this beacon of light, real estate investing, that's where everybody makes their money. I'm going to be a real estate investor. And I start trying to syndicate deals. I start doing due diligence on commercial properties and I realize I got no business doing this. Do I want to invest in real estate? Sure. Do I have any business being a principal and syndicating deals and doing due diligence? Hell no. That's when I'm really lost. I've got no direction. I wasn't sure where to start taking action. And then I thought, well, if I don't have clarity, then my one thing is to get clarity. How can I, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it will make achieving clarity easier or unnecessary? I'm going to surround myself with people who seem like they have clarity. And I'm going to ask them how they did it. And it was in the process of surrounding myself with these types of people that I started to find mentors, which were the idea for me starting the Mentee podcast, which was the reason I approached Jay Papazan when he spoke at our national sales meeting. I asked to interview him. It was the reason that I was qualified to take on this job to take over the one thing and turn it into a bigger business. And it all started because at one point in time, I was lost. I wasn't sure where to start. And so I made Seeking Clarity my first step. How do I measure my productivity? How would you answer that? Boil it down to a number. I think, um, actually, I like that a lot. You know, and when, when I have my accountability meetings with Jay, where we look over my 411, I'll have goals on there and he'll say, yeah, but um, as your coach, I don't have a number to that. I don't know what does is, what is success look like there. So when you talk about your productivity, there's probably a specific thing that you're trying to measure. Well, how would we know black or white if you did it? You know, I, one of my things for this year was to launch the One Thing podcast. And um, 
help it deliver more value. He said, yeah, but what's the number that we need to do there? And I said, 50 episodes. I'm going to do 50 episodes this year of the One Thing podcast and average 10,000 downloads an episode. He said, great, that's specific and measurable because if you're getting that many downloads that consistently, we know you're doing something right. We know you're adding value. Awesome. So I, I love what you said there, Garrett. I think that makes a lot of sense. I would, I would not have gone that direction. I was a little bit of, at a loss there. What are some hacks for recovering a lack of focus or a sudden loss of focus? Sometimes I just recognize that I'm not focused. I, how many of you have ever been in the, in the position where you try, you're, you're in the middle of doing something, you know, you were in the zone and all of a sudden you come out and, and you're just, you're trying so hard to get back into that, that flow state that you were writing or you're trying so hard to, to force it to get back into whatever you were doing. But whatever you resist persists. In those moments, I've, I've, I finally now it's like, oh, I'm out. Okay, it's time to meditate for one minute. It's time to stand up and stretch. It's time to do a ridiculous thing that I do called Qigong, where I stand up and I start slapping my muscles because it makes uh, the blood flow. And it's also really funny to go into people's offices, shut the door and do that and see the faces outside. Switch it up. You lose your focus? Cool. Switch it up, change your state and get back in. So Renee asks, what class or program can I take that will give me clarity around my one thing? Renee, we don't have anything for that yet. You know, we, we do cover that in Time Blocking Mastery. That's week one of the accountability series is how to identify your one thing. It's not a full class on it. But um, so that's an option. Um, you can go to gettimeblockingmastery.com if you want to check that out. But um, I want to give people valuable advice for, for those of you who want to just take action now um, and not have a program to support you. Out of all the areas of your life, spiritual, physical health, personal, relationships, jobs, business, finances. This is on page 114 of the book, by the way, folks. What's the one area that you need to make a change the most? Out of all of them, you need, you must. Make a change. If you did one thing this year to improve your life, that is the one area of your life that you must make a change. What's that one area? Then apply the focusing question. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it would make this specific area of my life easier or unnecessary? And like Garrett said, make it something that's black or white. Make it specific. Make it measurable. Maybe it's a number that's applied to it. And then go on a 66-day challenge. Because we know that it takes, on average, 66 days to making it a habit. The, 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 the lie that people have is that it's going to take all this willpower and all this discipline consistently moving forward to make this thing a habit. No, 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 no. All you have to do is apply your discipline to power through roughly 66 days because the moment it becomes a habit, it's like a car going into autopilot. It just takes over and it keeps happening with little to no effort. And then... Recognize that you're going to select an area right now. You're going to select one thing. Give yourself permission to pivot moving forward if, if something else should, should surface. So a few things. I mentioned a few things in there. First and foremost, I mentioned the book. For those of you who have not read the book yet, number one, WTF, top 10 business book of all time. If you, um, so you can get it on Amazon or here's, here's a way to get it for free. You ready? Um, if you check out the One Thing podcast, when you subscribe to the show, you take a screenshot of you subscribing, email that to contest at the one thing, and we will send you a link to get a free digital copy of the book. Okay? Free solution, 
there. And then we talked about the 66 day challenge. We have a calendar for that where you literally, it's got 66 squares on it and you can start marking them off as you track it. That's the one thing.com slash 66 day challenge. That's with the number one and the number 66. So hopefully that helps you. All right, folks, we are right at the top of the hour. I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for being here. Well, there you have it, our live Q&A that we did for our monthly live webinar. If you would like to join us for future webinars, we do them 100% free every single month, once a month. You can go to the onething.com slash webinar. That's the number one thing.com slash webinar. And we're bringing on lots of real heavy hitters. Um, I'm talking to some really big names this year. I'm not going to release them yet just because uh, I want to make sure that they're going to show up. But we've had some really powerful people in the past, and I look forward to exposing you to more people later this year. And this gives you the opportunity to interact with them directly. We really want you to be able to ask questions to these people so that it helps you get unstuck in whatever area of your life it is that you are unstuck. Um, That's also why we're doing this podcast, folks. We want to add value to you. And I am giving so much of this content. It's being directed by your feedback. I'm doing Facebook Lives where I'm literally interacting with people, asking where should we be making tweaks on the podcast? What type of content should we be doing in the future? So we are very, very active trying to add value to you. So if you look at the description below this phone, you'll see all the links to the various ways that you can join us there, whether it's the webinar at the onething.com slash webinar, whether it's our Facebook page where we do Facebook Live sessions twice a week, that's facebook.com slash the one thing book all spelled out our snapchat that we're doing every single day which is the one thing book with the number one and then this podcast so you got lots of options there folks but bottom line we want to help you we want to hear from you we want to interact with you and we want to go out of our way to source content that will help you get a meaningful change in your life so with that thank you so much for investing your time here with us today we we really It means the world to us and we don't take it lightly because we recognize it's your most valuable resource. It's your time. And we go out of our way to make sure that we are delivering on that value for you. So thank you. And we'll see you next time.